The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We bring you news and analysis every day on the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast, but now you can hear the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe today. Energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not really. It's the various factions under him and it suits them to have him at the front. You're trying to save for a house deposit and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money. How on earth are you going to do that if a pint is £7? There's certain key things that we want from India and there's certain key things that they want from us. Welcome to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Burden. We're here at Labour Party Conference. It's pretty cold actually today, but we are in Liverpool, so what can you expect, Caroline? We absolutely did. Did you watch the fog rolling in over the Mersey? No, but I heard the fog horns all night in my hotel room. Absolutely. We are peak conference, Lizzie, sandwiched between the speech from Rachel Rees, the Shadow Chancellor, and Keir Starmer later today. so I've taken the mandatory photo over at the Beatles statue, had to explain to the kids why they're such legends. Let's not go there. Uh, and now the excitement really does seem to be building. The big question, I think, for this conference is whether Keir Starmer could deliver a big vision. And actually, from the excerpts that we've had from his speech, it does sound like he might be able to, Lizzie. He needs to. This is his key moment to prove why he should be Britain's next Prime Minister. Look, Labour's been riding high on its 20-point poll lead. They're sticking to the big picture. In a sense, what's happening in Israel has spared Starmer and his front bench from getting drawn into the details of their plans. They don't necessarily want to get drawn into the specifics when we could be 15 months away from an election. I was speaking to three shadow Treasury ministers yesterday. All of them refused to tell me when Labour would target hitting the fastest growth in the G7, except that it would happen in the next parliament. So that's the pledge that Keir Starmer wants to make the UK the fastest growing economy which is a big deal isn't it's it? not just a pledge it's his number one mission and it's how he says he would fund public spending then on the policy of borrowing to invest when i asked the shadow chancellor rachel reeves how she could be sure that the markets aren't going to punish her for it given that debt is already 99 percent of gdp given that yields are high and given what we saw what happened to liz truss rachel reeves could only channel margaret thatcher and promise caution take a listen to this I set out the fiscal rules that I would stick to with iron discipline and I got support from conference again in setting out those rules. We won't borrow to fund day-to-day spending. We'll bring debt down as the share of our economy and then only subject to that we will invest in the things that can boost our productivity working in conjunction with business to unlock further private sector investment. So today for example I set out how a new national wealth fund will be targeted for every pound that we invest 
that it unlocks £3 of private sector investment. That is partnership between government and business in action. You're seeing it around the world. It is unlocking investment around the world. I want those jobs. I want that investment in Britain. And with Labour, we will. So a big vision, but not a lot of detail, but it didn't seem to matter. When I went to go and see Rachel Reeves giving her speech yesterday, I couldn't get in. The queue was so long, people were being turned away, people were having to stand at the back of the hall, it was that packed. And clearly the lack of detail didn't matter to the former governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, because he has said that she should be Britain's first female chancellor, or words to that effect. She herself is a former Bank of England economist, remember, but this is really significant as an endorsement. It shows that she's being taken seriously by the business world. I should say that Mark Carney is now the chair of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. But this is such a change from when Jeremy Corbyn was the leader of the Labour Party. For me, if you contrast this to the Conservative Party conference last week, that felt a bit silly. This feels serious. Yeah. Um, I think that it was remarkable just how well Rachel Reeves did or at least how well that speech landed in the hall yesterday and uh, you know as we've been commenting all week there's a real buzz here I think though perhaps there wasn't much detail you're right that the 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 tone of the speech was very strong and that endorsement from Mark Carney that popped up at the end as a video to the hall also was significant but I think we have to also talk about the unions Labour is the party of unions and when I was speaking this morning to some of the significant voices in the trades union movement they want deliverables for workers so the Labour Party at under Keir Starmer, Rachel Reeves, has talk about, talked about being the indisputable party of business, but the TUC, uh, Sharon Graham, also been quite uh, critical. They want uh, deliverables for workers in terms of pay and rights from this Labour government were they to get in. So speaking to Paul Novak, who's the General Secretary of the TUC, he was saying that he wants concrete pledges, for example, on zero hours, contracts, on pay and so much more within the first 100 days of a Labour government. And that is a very significant demand. This is some of what he told me earlier. Well, economic growth, but making sure that that economic growth goes hand in hand with rising people's living standards. I'm not interested in boosting GDP if it doesn't make a difference in the lives of ordinary working people. So we've got to make sure that the benefits of that growth are shared fairly. But we've also said very clearly that we at the TUC think there needs to be a national conversation about how we tax wealth and not work. And so for me, that will always be the argument with the Labour Party. Of course, we need to grow our economy. Of course, we need to boost living standards. In the short term, I think we also need to talk uh, seriously about taxing. So that was Paul Novak um, speaking to me earlier. I mean, that idea of a wealth tax, that is sort of at the back of the queue at the moment in terms of policies that, that the party's talking about. It's talking about building, and that indeed is what we're expecting to hear from Keir Starmer today. Possibly some Georgian architecture in this house building that Keir Starmer is going to do. Personally, I think that would be quite pretty. Yeah. What is broken can be repaired. Those are a few of the words that he's expected to say. What is ruined can be rebuilt um, the other person that I spoke to was totally fascinating this morning um, was from Labour Together the director there is Josh Simons 
If we think about whether this Labour potential government has got a big filing cabinet of policies that they are storing away for when they come into power, you know, all the detail around this policy, the person that might be able to answer that question is somebody like Josh. He's both... um, a kind of expert when it comes to campaigning. He's done work in the US and the UK, and he is also a key advisor uh, in terms of Labour policy. Have a listen to Labour Together. Well, firstly, I would say there is radicalism in the uh, offer that Labour's developing. You know, they're proposing to invest a lot of money in clean technologies, in infrastructure, in housing. And that's, you know, that's a transformational difference to the Conservative Party that I think people sometimes underestimate. But, you know, I think the more important point in a way is Labour are going to have to manage expectations about what happened if Labour win. You know, Labour can't be going around saying, you know, on day two of a Labour government, your life will feel completely different because it won't. You know, there is no money and the fiscal situation is extremely tight and a credible serious party will be very clear about that to the voters whose trust it seeks to win. So that was Josh Simons there from Labour together. The only other voice that I'll mention in all the people that's been so busy the last couple of days that I've spoken to is totally fascinating, Lord Mandelson, Peter Mandelson, of course, the Labour peer. I saw him speak last night. He came and spoke to us um, today too. And he was saying that, um, you know, at the centre of the Labour Party manifesto is the idea of growth. He was saying that Keir Starmer, the previous administration in terms of Jeremy Corbyn, was weak, weak, weak. He was backing Keir Starmer and Rachel Rees that they have the confidence of business. He was very, very positive. Told me he was delirious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Deli- I mean, and this, of course, you have to remember, is the architect of the 97 Labour landslide, or one of them anyway. Yeah, just reflecting on those comments from Labour together, it's interesting that they say there is radicalism, even if it's not a word that Keir Starmer is wanting to use. They don't really want to call no, their not, ideas not bold. not with the chaos of the last seven years, as man called it uh, that that you know three prime ministers in a year and just this emphasis on the idea that change is going to take time when we know that Keir Starmer has been telling his own team to plan for a two term government mm. a decade of renewal as he's likely to put it in this speech but we thought we'd bring you the beating heart the thoughts of the Bloomberg machine she's on the editorial board it's Therese Raphael she's a Bloomberg opinion columnist she's been at the conference heading round the fringe events watching the speeches taking the temperature here on the ground in Liverpool Therese it's really great to have you with us so nice to be back with you both and I wonder just your observations comparing this conference to previous years so I think the last Labour conference I came to was under Corbyn's leadership, and um, and I think he really sort of summed up the differences very well. I mean, it is um, a completely different hall, and and this. I mean, Labour conferences are always, I think, a bit ruckus. They're um, they're a bit more energised than Conservative Party conferences in the hall. Um, but there's a sort of professionalism here that you really see on the fringe meetings that I I don't recall noticing before. The questions are very focused and specific. And it's almost as if there's a role reversal where you get a sense from you know, every sort of fringe in conferences and, and, and conference halls, and okay, there are some exceptions, but that this is a party incredibly focused on 
getting into power. And that was something that we always said about the Tories. Yes. That whatever happened within the party, whatever their divisions, whatever messiness or scandal, this was a party that could come together when it came to elections and seize power. And that's no longer the case with the Tories. I think it was clear, I wasn't at the Conservative Party conference, but from everything that came out of that that is clear, it is, it, it's, it's a party that is sort of struggling to figure out um, you know, what it stands for, there are factions fighting for control. But the Labour Party, which is an enormous tent, of, yes. and, and you spoke to that when you mentioned the unions, of very diverse opinions, those have all been kind of subsumed, as it were, and, and the, the goal oh, yes. of getting to that election is it above was all. absolutely clear because, you know, I, I put all of that argumentation to Paul Novak and the first thing he said is we all want a Labour government. You know, when talking about Sharon Graham, we want a Labour government. First sentence that he said to me and I, I completely understand where you get that view that there's a much more unified Labour Party around that goal. Yeah, I mean... Let's caveat that a little bit. Yeah. So there are, you know, I, I sat in on a fringe with John McDonnell yes. um, and union leaders, and we heard, uh, and, and there were very strong calls for public sector ownership yes. of the railways. Um, John McDonnell saying we can't wait for that. He called for Labour MPs to be on the picket line. Mm. Not something Keir Starmer would be uh, very enthusiastic about hearing. We saw a motion uh, that passed on uh, on the floor calling for uh, strengthening workers' rights, repealing also the limitations on um, uh, on uh, strike action that the Tory government has put in place. I think those sorts of disagreements will stay sort of backgrounded until the election. But there there and they will have an impact on a future Labour government. So Keir Starmer has wrestled control of this party, you know, remarkably well, I think. It is not and the quickly. party. And quickly. Um, and if you think that, you know, for a lot of the time that he, um, after he became leader, you know, we had the pandemic, he wasn't able to have a big stage and a bully pulpit. He had to speak through Zoom. We didn't really see much of him, but that was time that he used to reform the party from the inside. It's a time he used to change the National Executive Committee, uh, to get rid of the whole sort of Corbynite uh, factions. And I think we're now starting to see the tie loosening, starting to see another side of Starmer. And that's really, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's done that reform. He's speaking to the conference, I think, very effectively. And certainly his, his you know, front benches. Whether he can cross that next sort of barrier and speak to the public in the way that you expect a politician with a real sort of people's touch to. Mm. I think that's sort of what we're looking for in this speech. Yeah, I saw him roaming the conference hall yesterday and I have to say he was looking very relaxed. He did seem to have that common touch. He was just making chit-chat with people yeah. passing by. Therese, you heard my small rant in tribute to our co-anchor Ewan Potts back in London about the lack of detail that we've had so far from Labour. They seem to be getting away with it when there are so many questions about Israel dominating the interviews that front bench minister, uh, shadow ministers have had to do. Do you think that they can get away with it for 15 months, if that's how long it takes to get a general election, not to give us detail? How long can they uh, just stick to the big picture? So, no, 15 months, absolutely not. They can't, and they'll have to have a manifesto. Six months, if we're going to get an election in May, 
they could probably go another four months with just dribbling out announcements, speaking about securonomics, about building, about infrastructure. I think for sure they they can. The closer we get to an election, the more the the expectation will be a policy. In some ways, events in Israel, you know, the horrible they are in political terms. Um, I think it's allowed Starmer to hit the big themes because. In any case, the detail would be lost, um, you know, the, the, the top news item every day. You put it better than me. Gaza, so. Yeah, no, and I think, I think it being an enormous foreign policy challenge and yeah. at least being able yeah. to get a statement out swiftly, you know, on the position of the party is, you know, was a huge test. And in fact, you know, on so many other issues, yeah. the party is still a little untested on yeah. Northern Ireland, on Ukraine. But yeah. anyway, that's perhaps for another day to think about the geopolitics because I want to ask you um, about the, the, the ground, the economic ground, about Labour fighting to be the party of business. There, you know, Again, the last few days have been dominated by this idea that there are more business people here, more investors here than there have been in Labour conferences past, that they are making that case and that it is landing well. And yet there is a tension, of course, growth, but not being able to spend, trying to give the right message to the bond markets. And that also is a particular interest for our listeners, I know, to, to understand all of that. I mean, so I think you've covered this so well in recent days because I've listened to the podcast and just teasing out that tension. And there really isn't an easy answer because you know, Rachel Reeves is saying, we're not the party. We don't believe that tax and spend is the answer. Um, fiscal discipline, there are new fiscal rules that will come into play. But there are tax increases on the margin, generally to you know, foreigners who buy property, to people who uh, spend money in private schools. And with those tax increases come an assumption that a certain amount of income will flow to the Treasury. And they're not exactly hypothecated taxes, taxes that are dedicated to a particular purpose. But they're almost like that because she's saying we'll use this to fund public schools. And so it you know, raises a question, well, what if it doesn't raise the amount of money that you think it will? What if, you know, and, and they don't want to hear that. They say, you know, of course foreigners are going to continue to buy property here. Of course, um, you know, the wife of the prime minister, uh, you know, who, who is a, you know, who was a non-dom, uh, you know, is still going to stay and, and, and pay her taxes. So they really sweep all those, um, you know, all those concerns under the carpet. The other thing that we hear from the Labour Party is that where the savings will be, um, it will be on rewiring, one of West Streeting's favorite phrases. He doesn't like using the referred reform of the NHS. We've heard that over many years. The NHS is still a mess, but he talks about rewiring the NHS. So we hear rewiring things like the civil service. We'll cut out consultants, we'll cut waste, we'll reclaim. And all of that, I think, will be music to the ears of some Labour Party members and voters, but it's not like those ideas were invented here. You know, they, they, these things have been talked about and tried before. So a lot will come down to the competency in government, whether they can hit the ground running in those first 100 days if they're elected. Um, Therese, if I can just come back to the geopolitics and Israel. I was speaking to Bronwyn Maddox earlier, the chief executive of Chatham House, and she said 
that if this turns into a full-scale war in the Middle East, the US would obviously back Israel over Ukraine in a heartbeat. Those were her words, in a heartbeat. Where does it leave the UK if there's a full-scale war? So I think the UK, uh, particularly, you know, in the current geopolitical environment, will stand with the US. I think it would be... um, you know, very surprising if you saw a cigarette paper of difference between British and American policy and geopolitics right now, especially with reports that um, Iran uh, has had a hand. We know Iran has been a longtime funder of Hamas. Um, uh, so I think we can expect that. Obviously, very little difference between the government and the opposition so far. But the early response is in some ways the easier response. The condemnation of Hamas, the endorsement of whatever Israel needs to do to respond. I think in the next stage, we see a ground war in Gaza. We've seen obviously the cutting off of electricity. Um, And there will be uh, resistance and cries to also restrain perhaps Israel. And there will be a lot of this sort of what aboutism, you know, well, what about, uh, you know, how the Palestinians have been treated. And then it will be down to the government, but also very interesting to see how Starmer responds to that. And whether he says, um, you know, yes, there are, can be questions about, you know, fair and lasting solutions to the Palestinian question, but there can be no question about uh, condemning the terrorism that we have seen and um, endorsing Israel's response to that. So I think things will get trickier. And as Bronwyn, you know, rightly points out, this could widen quite quickly. Um, And we'll we'll want to hear also more from Starmer on Ukraine. That is, you know, that counteroffensive is dragging on. That war is going to be a long war. Ukraine is going to need tremendous amount of funding militarily, um, but also in terms of reconstruction. The UK has been out in the forefront on uh, supporting Ukraine, first to send main battle tanks. The Storm Shadow missiles have been instrumental. Where does a Labour government see that over the long term? So I think these geopolitical questions mm. are going to be um, very much foregrounded, you know, as well as these economic questions. And this is an opportunity for, for Starmer as well. Yeah, Therese, so interesting, isn't it? Perhaps the last decade in Britain might have been one that was characterized as the UK's relationship with the EU. The next decade may well be around, you know, these very, very significant conflicts in the world and the UK's place and response to all of those. In a fiscally constrained time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Therese Raphael, thank you so much for being with us here on Bloomberg Radio. Well, look, speaking of that domestic issue, also we did have a chance to catch up with the Shadow Housing Minister this morning, Matthew Pennycook, and I actually think this is one of the very significant pledges that the Labour Party is making, to build one and a half million homes in the UK, uh, Keir Summers promised that, but also uh, the biggest affordable housing boost in a generation. That's the sort of advertising slogan for it. How do you deliver it, though, when there have been so many other pledges and the cost of housing is so central here in the UK? Have a listen to Matthew Pennycook, the Shadow Minister for Housing and Planning. It's a bold, it's a stretching target, but it's one we think we can absolutely achieve. We've done a huge amount of work over the last 12 to 18 months, particularly talking to industry Um, the sector also that will have to help us uh, in partnership deliver this ambition and we think it is achievable absolutely achievable there are two elements to it i suppose one is rescuing 
um, the, the existing system, which is not working particularly well, not least because the government have abolished mandatory housing targets, and we've seen scores of local plans across the country paused or put on hold uh, to be reviewed. And so we've got a, a planning system on the ground that isn't working, isn't meeting housing need. And then we've got to, in a bold way, do building at scale. So the plot-by-plot plot approach to building across the country just isn't enough to address the scale of the housing challenge. That's why we're announcing a new generation of new towns. That's why we've announced again this morning a package to build more and build faster in mm -hmm. our towns and cities on already used derelict brownfield yard. So there's a, there's a, there's a pragmatic uh, but bold comprehensive strategy here to okay. reach that one and a half million number over a parliament. Matthew, the original Conservative Party pledge was 300,000 homes a year. They have, the, the party has not, the country has not reached that target ever in all of the years that it has been in place. Then just in the last couple of weeks, Liberal Democrats talked about 400,000 new homes. And then Liz Truss came out and said, no, no, half a million new homes a year. Mm. Extraordinary numbers. Surely for this sort of top-down approach to really get building at scale, as you've described it, Labour would have to build on green land. They would have to be compulsory land purchases. And this is on the scale of post-Second post World War II building. And a very proud tradition of, of the post-war new towns it is that we, we seek to build on. What I'd say in response to that is you're absolutely right. Conservatives have a, a target of 300,000 homes a year. They've never achieved it once over 13 years in office. The other numbers that are being plucked out of the air whatsoever. We've chosen the 1.5 million target over a parliament after very careful consideration that we can achieve it that we have the policies to do so. And the policy differences, as I've just said, no other party is proposing a new generation of new towns. Big at scale development to boost supply. So that's what we'll do differently. But you're absolutely right, it will involve uh, elements of Greenbelt release. What I'd say to that is, we've had a situation over the last 13 years where elements of the Greenbelt have been released, but in a completely haphazard way, lots of time for speculative development that doesn't meet local housing need. We're proposing on Greenbelt, you know, having intensified brownfield development, if you like, let's maximise what we can get out of our towns and cities in the form of already used land. But yeah, we, we're absolutely honest. You can't meet housing need on that basis. You're going to have to look at greenbelt release. What we want to do is get back to a situation as it was pre-2010, where we're releasing greenbelt strategically. Mm. We're releasing the right parts of the greenbelt, the grey belt, as we would call it, but the disused petrol stations that are out there, the scrubland, not the high quality environmental. But you've got to have industry behind this. You have to have the house builders. I mean, the, the, they, they they struggled in 2008. Have you got them on side already? They're have, they have very much on side, and I think you'll see that in the and coming hours. And at the price hours. that they have to charge for those homes, that, that's the litmus test, surely. I think you'll see in the coming hours and the coming days just how supportive industry is of these plans. Uh, we've had extensive dialogue with industry, as I say, over uh, recent months, years even, going back, and we, we're, we're fully engaged with them as to how they can help us deliver. Not just them, social uh, landlords, other registered providers, we're going to need lots of partners to make this happen. But we think it is absolutely possible. And what's the alternative? Look, we accept a situation where we're just not meeting housing need or demand in this country. We're not prepared to accept that. We've got to get Britain building, we've got to remove some of the barriers to building at scale, and we've got to do a lot to the existing system that you know will drive up the amount that we can get from planning game mm. for example you're absolutely right we're going to see a, a role very much here for enhanced compulsory purchase order powers we've got to be able to on, on certain tracts of land particularly in new towns to be able to say no oh, look we disapply hope value we want to drive affordable housing rates up in these large-scale communities so there's, there's a comprehensive package here 
um, that sits underneath that target. And I think that is the difference between us and the other parties. They're plucking targets out of the air, trying to get the system to respond and to meet them, and they're failing at every turn. Yeah. We are absolutely confident we can deliver this target. And I think it's totally fascinating. I was speaking to the Housing Minister, Rachel McLean, only last week on this very subject. So I'm... I'm in some ways, there's been a lot of criticism of, of Keir Starmer and of Rachel Reeves for not being radical enough. And this is slightly flying under the radar as potentially one of the big radical policies in the UK. My question is, would Labour tolerate a decline in home values, which is surely the direct result of a major building project like this? Well, I think you're seeing a slight correction in, in, in housing values already. I mean, if that is ultimately the consequence over the medium to long term, that will probably be a good thing in some cases in terms of the affordability of homes for first-time buyers. But look, nothing we're, nothing we're proposing is revolutionary. We're not ripping up the planning system. We're talking about a series of targeted changes to a system which is not working well to get Britain building again at scale. Because what do we ultimately need? We need more homes, uh, more quickly, so that people who want to either own their own home or have a safe, secure, affordable place to rent have that opportunity. Because we've got, as you will well know, 1.2 million people on the housing register, got over 100,000 households now in temporary accommodation, includes tens of thousands of children. It's a mm. shameful situation after 13 years, and we're absolutely determined to change it. And I think in terms of flying under the radar, I don't think that's the case at all. I think you'll hear very much from Keir this afternoon how central this is to delivering on many of the missions that are a priority for us, not least boosting economic growth. This is absolutely central to delivering on that mission. How are you going to get the sort of quality of home building that the UK needs in terms of you know, the green pledges, so sustainable home building, the quality of building materials that has been so under scrutiny, obviously, no, after the rack uh, issue, but also the size of homes? I mean, somebody nerdy like me has a little look at the size of homes yeah. and actually... British homes on average are half the size of homes in certainly in the United States but also many many other countries and they're much more expensive how does how do you work with business to get the quality size and the size of homes needed you know at a price that is affordable for people in the UK I think, look, I think there are moves being made in this direction already. There's the new homes quality code. I think there's probably a case uh, that we should certainly explore about making that statutory. So there's some action on how we drive up the quality of homes. But what I think we can directly do with some of our package, and I come back to the new towns as an example, if with new towns through development corporations, government is taking on very deliberately, very consciously, more of the responsibility for development outcomes. You can drive some of those things through. So, for example, we can insist on higher quality design standards. We can insist through a master developer land assembly role on better placemaking because I don't know what you, your experience is, but uh, in my own constituency and others I talk to across the country, there is a small cohort of people who will never accept development of any kind. And we're going to have to have an honest conversation with them. We're not prepared an to An honest say conversation. We're going but, to have to sweep aside but, but, nimbyism well, effectively. But I think, I think uh, people who would classify themselves as through and through nimbies are quite small in number. There's a far greater section of the population which says, look, I'll have development in my area. Mm. If it's high quality, if it's well designed, if it's good places, if it's got the infrastructure in place up front, the GP surgeries, the schools. The problem is that over the last 13 years we've got far too many developments which are poor quality, bad places, bad infrastructure, not connected to public transport. We've got to change the conversation about what we offer in terms of development. A last thought then, is this the Labour drive for two terms in office and for getting the under 40s vote? I mean... This, to me, seems that package to try to deliver families. Is that what you're targeting? 
I think it's all voters, if I'm honest, because every part of the country I go to, when you speak to older voters, for example, they're incredibly concerned that their kids and their grandkids can't get homes to buy, can't get affordable, safe, decent places to rent if they don't want to buy at that point in their life. So I think it goes cuts across the generations. But you're absolutely right in, in, in putting to me, is this a long-term plan? Is it got, it's going to take a huge amount of effort, laborious hard work over many, many years. There's no overnight quick fix to this, but we're determined to, to make that change, to start that journey. So that was Matthew Pennycook, the Shadow Minister for Housing and Planning. So pretty bold when it comes to building. How do you convince you know, local constituencies and the councils to do that top down effectively? I reckon we'll hear more about that from Keir Starmer in his speech later today. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Woolcock and our audio engineers were Max Green and Mariful Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepker. We'll be back with more from the Labour Party conference tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.